friends, you are listening to episode 27 of the Unschool Files podcast. I'm your host, Megan, and I'm so glad you made time to give this episode a listen. This network of unschoolers, self-directed learners, facilitators, and even homeschoolers, shout out to my unschoolish folks, it's growing. There are so many of us, and we are all connecting and finding our way to each other on the internet. And I think this lost year has really challenged us and it's forcing us all to examine how we've been guiding and facilitating this work of self-directed education. I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge how exhausted I know we all are. And I hope that you're hanging in. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Iris Chen, mother, unschooler, blogger, and a published author of the book, Untigering. We're going to discuss her journey to unschooling, tiger parenting, and this emergent practice of self-directed learning while also healing from family wounds and liberating marginalized folks and ourselves via this anti-oppression work. I am thrilled to have her on. Please join me in welcoming Iris to the podcast. Hi, Iris. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be talking to you today. Thank you for having me, Megan. I'm just so, so glad. Um, I want you to start with talking a little bit about what your relationship to unschooling is, um, even though we will definitely touch on the book, Untigering. Let's start with just unschooling. So what's your relationship to unschooling? Describe that in your family's relationship, rather. Sure. So uh, we are unschoolers. We started about four years ago. Um, We were living in China at the time. My kids were born there and we've lived there for, for many years. And our schooling options were just pretty limited. Um, We couldn't get them into the local school. We didn't want to send them to um, the private international school. And so the option that was really left to us was homeschooling. And I, I had seen homeschooling done by other families. And I had, you know, done it myself for a few years, like part time homeschooling my kids. And I knew that if I was going to do school at home, that that would just, you know, cause so much conflict because I'm, I'm a control freak. I'm like that. I'm like that tiger parent. Right. So I knew that I would be wanting them to like tick all the boxes, do all the work that was assigned to them. Mm. And, and it would just be really bad. And I didn't want to spend all my time lesson planning and all those things. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to homeschool, how can I do this in the way that will work for my family? And that's when I discovered unschooling and um, just really resonated with it, was really challenged by the principles of it, just believing that our kids are naturally wired to learn and be Mm. curious and explore. And yeah, so we decided because our options were limited, we're like, well, what do we have to lose? Um, we were going to give it a year. And um, my kids were still pretty young at that time, like eight and six. And so it's like, okay, if they spend a year playing, they'll be okay. <laughs> if, if we need to somehow go back to a more structured schooling environment, they can handle a year of play. Um, but the more we just practiced it, the more just it was so liberating. It was freeing. It was really challenging the way um, we saw how lives are structured generally around mm. these systems um, and uh, just the value of respecting our kids' autonomy 
and what that looked like for us as well as adults, you know, pursuing our own passions and pursuing joy for ourselves as well. So yeah, we've been doing that for the past four years and it's really been amazing. So two years ago, we moved back to the States. Um, and I think unschooling really helped that transition to go more smoothly because we, like our family life was pretty stable. It didn't change all that much. Um, and we weren't like throwing them suddenly into like middle school or yeah. like um, an environment that would have been very stressful for them. Yes. So, yeah. And I can speak to that unschooling being a good transition, like being transitionable, like you can go from one thing to the next so much mm -hmm. more simply because you don't have um, all of these systems asking you to be in all of these places at one time in your brain to be in all of these places at one time. Yeah. Yeah. And even when the pandemic hit, I think unschooling made it perhaps easier for us than those who mm. are, are in a very rigid structured environment because like, okay, if you're in school, you're still expected to, you know, sit in front of the screen for mm -hmm. a certain amount of hours doing the work that they expect you to do, keeping mm -hmm. up with all of that. Whereas like without having those arbitrary expectations placed on us, we could really just um, meet the moment and, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, just have real ex realistic expectations and go with the flow. And of course it was hard, you know, yeah. um, it's hard for everybody, but I think like just recognizing that it didn't have to be a certain way, you know, we yeah. could, we could just deal with the life that was handed to us at that time and respond to it instead of being really rigid about what school and education and grade level standards yes. were. It's fluidity. I think mm -hmm. it provides fluidity. That's what it is. It allows us to be more fluid. Yes, yes. For sure. I mean, it took a lot away from us as unschoolers because we spent a lot of, of our time out into the world. And I know some folks might be more homebodies who it affected less. So, mm -hmm. we, you know, we had a little bit of an effect there in, in that. But I think, again, back to what you're saying, being able to meet the moment and really process like what we were feeling um, and kind of assess what was going on around us with our people, um, with the news with everything that was happening. We just, we had the space to just mm -hmm. deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing about unschooling. It's like, we are just living as whole people. And so that involves our bodies, that involves our emotions, that involves our minds. So it's not just about like academics and intellectual right. learning. It's like, how are our kids feeling in this moment? How can we um, support them, you know, just all the the fears and anxieties and all those things that came up because of the pandemic or their inability to connect with their friends or, you know, socialize in the ways that they are used to. I mean, there's a lot to grieve and work through. And so um, how unschooling just gives us time to to process that, you know, instead of just continuing to plow ahead and do the work that we need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in the grand scheme of, scheme of things, even if you weren't an unschooler, everybody settled on, well, that, that year was a wash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could do it for, for something like that, you could take time to explore this as an opportunity for a while to see if it does fit you in some capacity and like move and shift to make it fit you. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Would you yeah. say that there? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just um, going to say that one word that um, others have used with unschooling is the word emergent. Mm. And I think that just like how it's not a static thing, we're always um, realigning and, and adjusting and uh, like it's something that is dynamic and growing based on the situation, based on who we are and who our children are in any given moment. Yes. And, and so in that way, yeah, that fluidity, that flow. Yeah, it's like a it's like a living, breathing practice that shifts mm. and changes from week to week sometimes, depending on what's going on. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Would you say that there are any resources or podcasts or books or any um, specific folks who have informed this shift into unschooling? Um, and does it kind of coincide with your shift from uh, tiger parenting to untigering? Are those things all connected? I think it really is connected because I don't think I would be able to practice unschooling if I, I wasn't already making that shift um, in my parenting mm-hmm. and learning how to respect children, how to like understand their needs. Um, so that was definitely part of it. I think some of the people that really informed me uh, were Akila Richards. Um, yes. Yes. Um, I can't sing her praises enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think I, I entered this process more out of desperation, you know, like, okay, well, this makes sense from like a child learning perspective, but I don't think I really considered the liberation, um, anti-oppression, you know, part of mm-hmm. it, the decolonization part of it until I read more of her work. And um, yeah, and the work of other BIPOC unschoolers. So I think it was really important to hear her voice and um, to understand that in my context too. Um, yeah, and you know, all all the there was um, the Alliance for Self-Directed Education, which is where the like pretty much the first place where I um, learned more deeply about unschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to Pam Larickia and her mm-hmm. Exploring Unschooling podcast. And so, yeah, now I feel like I'm connected to a lot of different people. Yeah. Yeah, Lucy Akin Reed and um, who's Lulastic. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think it's been really important for me to um, hear. And I just posted this today like, unschooling is a social justice movement to think of unschooling from that perspective and not just a like an individualistic yes you know libertarian type of yes. uh, mindset yeah i think um this practice sde can really be um manipulated to fit that really well yeah <laughs> yeah i have found myself in conversation with a few people um who've reached out and, and chat with me kind of privately about things going on in the unschooling world and about the podcast and possibly coming on to talk with me and stuff. And I find myself coming back to this same phrase to say that that, that kind of unschooling that you're mentioning mm. is so dangerous and it sits at the crossroads of freedom and fascism. <laughs> mm. It's right there and can go two different ways. Um, based on your interpretation, 
right? Mm. And so I like want so badly for unschooling to not take that route of going this hyper individualistic way where it is um, just breeding the same problematic behaviors and oppressive behaviors mm-hmm. um, in a safe place, really, right? For it to grow and and really become kind of a monster it can be. Mm. Um, and that worries me a little bit. It worries me to see people using unschooling in that way. Yeah, yeah. I I wrote a blog post and um, it's actually in my book too about permissive parenting and how that can be a tool of oppression. And sometimes, mm. sometimes unschooling can lean the way of permissive parenting, you know, where it's like, let the kids do whatever they want. And it's not within um, a relational context and a collective contextual context where um, there are other people involved. You know, we need to consider each other that it's not just about the individual, that while we do want to honor the autonomy um, uh, and dignity of our, our children and of the individual, that that we are connected to one another. And Mm -hmm. so there are boundaries, there are limits, there um, are ways that we need to consider the greater whole and not just ourselves. Using words like dangerous and, you know, saying like the crossroads of freedom and fascism sounds really intense, but those behaviors can manifest into that later, right? I mean, they can grow and snowball. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're seeing that in, Um, in our society now where certain people feel like they have the right to do whatever they want and to um, take away the freedom of others using their freedom, you know? So they they believe that they have a freedom to do a certain thing, but then that just makes other people less safe. Right. Yeah, it is very scary and dangerous. So I think it is something that we need to be aware of and address. For sure. For sure. So let's talk about this tiger parenting. You wrote a book called Untigering, Peaceful Mm -hmm. Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent. What is tiger parenting? So tiger parenting is, uh, you know, it comes from a book written by Amy Chua called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. And in it, what she was like writing, it was sort of like a memoir about her own life as a Chinese mother. And I guess the stereotype of the Chinese parent being very authoritarian, strict, demanding, really high expectations of academics and and other other things, you know, very controlling. And so... Um, that's sort of like, at least within the Asian immigrant community, that's pretty standard parenting, unfortunately. Um, I think there's a lot of cultural reasons why that is, but, um, untigering is, was like me unpacking a lot of the ways that I was raised and that I was initially raising my kids in the same, same way as well. And, um, shifting away from that to peaceful parenting. And for me, that also included unschooling. Yeah. So earlier when I mentioned that, them all happening kind of simultaneously, that all just was like a perfect storm altogether. <laughs> I think I think the parenting thing um, like hit me first in terms of just coming to a crossroads with my, with my oldest in particular, who was really pushing back against my desire to control him. And 
um, me being like forced to consider other ways because it was just creating so much conflict um, in our family. So yeah, I think I came to um, gentle, peaceful parenting first. And so I think that's like a great primer for unschooling. Like once, once you really internalize the values and um, understanding of peaceful parenting, I feel like unschooling is the natural next step. Yeah. And, I, and I find that a lot of, at least like the social media influencers that I follow online um, who do talk about parenting are unschoolers or home educating in some way. So that's, right. that's an interesting thing that I have found that it's very aligned with peaceful parenting. Yes. And I also find that the uh, unschooling label doesn't fit a lot of folks who are actually unschooling. They're self-directed learning. They're, you know, they're, they're pursuing self-directed lives as a family um, and don't identify as unschooling for a variety of reasons. There's a lot of reasons why people have shared with me that they don't use that label. But mm. that's the interesting thing that I'm finding is that this actually um, is extended far and beyond, I think, people who call themselves unschoolers. And even though it's radical, it's kind of spreading fast. And I think it's wonderful for people to see a new way to break past all of these old ways of thinking that really aren't actually that old. They were just taken mm -hmm. <laughs> and put in place. The old, old ways were taken and then these were put in place. But um, it's great to see so many people that are kind of coming out and like, hey, I'm not really an unschooler, but can I talk to you about this or can I say this? And it's incredible to see how many people are actually practicing this sort of peaceful parenting dynamic and just don't totally align with everything unschooly. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like I probably don't either. And <laughs> yeah, it, again, it's one of those things that is um, dynamic and that I'm always adjusting, like something that I'm considering for my for my kids now is like a self-directed learning center space. Yeah. Which is, which some people might not consider like officially unschooling, but yeah, like, you know, the, the needs of our kids change over time. And even as our kids, you know, get older and want to go to college, like they can still go to college in an unschooling way. Right. So, so it's not the form as, as much as the motivation and um, the way we practice it. Yes. I feel that like, so much because there are a few people who hang around the podcast and listen and reach out to me who whose children are in public school sure, and feel almost a little bit isolated in some of these conversations because they're like, oh, I'm not doing it fully. And while I will say that it is probably significantly more challenging to self-direct and like honor and respect everyone's ways and needs and um, boundaries in those types of systems. I don't think it's impossible. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't. I think it would be more possible, right, in a self-directed center probably than a public school. Um, and my, my family is similarly exploring options. I've shared on the podcast that one of mine wants to go to full-on public school, and we've been exploring different, you know, conversations around that option and some other options. And similarly, it wouldn't change that we are still self-directing if we mm -hmm. went some other place to self-direct. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it really is, you know, 
doing it in partnership with our children, honoring their consent and their self-direction. So if they choose to go to public school, that that can be unschooling if it's, you know, if they are actively choosing it, you know, they've done right. it consensually, it is self-directed. They know, um, you know, the parameters in which they need to operate within that system. Right. Yeah, just like if they wanted to go to a community college, there's ways that they would need to, you know, um, submit themselves to that system in some ways. But they do so understanding that right. what, they're th- that what they're getting out of it. Precisely. Does it mean that they're probably um, going to have a perfect experience and never going to complain that they are bringing home homework and maybe they regret doing this thing? No, it does not. They might say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They might have hard times. And it's being in partnership and choosing the relationship first that gets us through whatever the thing is that we're trying to get through, Mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't mean, I think back to the permissive parenting and like the sort of like very um, aloof way of being Mm. a bit, it doesn't mean that you, you are still teaching expectations. And when you make a commitment, what that commitment means, if you have a teenager that's going to be taking a job, you're not going to just aid and abed your teenager to go in one day and then decide when Edith wants to sleep in the next day just to not show up. You're going to partner and be like, hey, man, you signed up for this. Yeah, yeah. You made this commitment to this employer, you know? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I think when when people take everything in such a, a very, like, um, purist way of thinking or dogmatic way of thinking about rules or the model, it can get you kind of spun up, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> but none of that really matters. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Right. It is a very like binary way of thinking, you know, it's either, it's either we totally respect their autonomy or we're totally coercive. And it's not like that, you know, in all relationships, there is a give and take. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, not to have that purest binary thinking about these things. For sure. When you were talking about um, tiger parenting in your book, I was resonating so much with Um, just some like cross-cultural overlap. Um, And I think probably other families might feel the same. I know that, I mean, I'm from a Chicano family and I'm a biracial woman and my experience has a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences too. Like in my family, academia wasn't really pushed really strongly, but I had to perform in other ways um, in order to earn, you know, that that love, that connection. I wanted to speak a little bit to that. Have other people reached out to share cross-cultural overlap in that way? Yes, definitely. Um, it so, sort of surprised me because I I was writing, you know, through my Asian American lens and just putting it out there, offering it um, by telling my story. And it really surprised me how many people, you know, who weren't Asian, um, resonated with it and could, yeah, could really relate to those stories. And I think, you know, just with um, just Black women, Black parents who could really connect with some of those expectations from their parents Mm -hmm. to behave in a certain way, to achieve certain things in order to be successful in the world. Um, Immigrants of you know, from all different countries who yeah. have a, a similar experience. So yeah, I think that cultural piece does really, um, yeah, a lot of people can relate to that. For sure. I think sometimes people think of like harsh, intense, like tiger parenting 
um, this oppressive parenting and adults, you know, abusing power as this very overt, violent, abusive sounding thing. But it doesn't always look that way. It doesn't always show up that way. Control and manipulation aren't always so visibly disturbing. Sometimes they're quiet, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, sometimes it's just the like a look <laughs> yeah yeah just just when when you are taught you like for me I grew up in a very patriarchal culture and a patriarchal family where you know what the dad says what the father figure says absolutely goes so you know fearing to talk back fearing to express um anything other than obedience when he was around um, that there was that fear, that constant fear, even though it wasn't always violent, there wasn't always like yelling or hitting or anything like overtly abusive in that way, but just a look, just silence, you know, could, could let me know that, oh, he was displeased. And so. With unschooling and, and peaceful parenting, any parents, grandparents, friends of unschoolers, anyone who's listening and just doesn't quite get all of this, but wants to sort of follow, like get in with their people, be a part of the village that's raising these unschooling children. How can they sort of take the, I know you've talked about like seeing your children with the eyes of empathy and understanding, like how could they get there? How can they take off the old oppressive hat and put on like this new um, partner hat? Yeah. I So I think one thing that was really helpful for me um, just with parenting in general and just seeing my children differently was to, and, and this is one of the chapters in my book, was to rethink misbehavior. So um, how I think a lot of parenting is focused on behavior and behavior management. And so if our children are doing things that, you know, make us upset or whatever, that we try to change the behavior by, <laughs> by punishing or rewarding, um, lecturing, all those things. And I think what has helped me is to understand that all that behavior is communication. And how can I dig deeper to understand what are the motivations behind that behavior? What are the needs that they're trying to meet through that behavior. Um, they're, yeah, all behavior is an attempt to meet a need. So it serves them in some way. Um, yeah. So how can, instead of labeling their behavior as good or bad, um, like feeling like I need to discipline them to control them in some ways, I can um, just be curious and wonder uh, what is it that is driving that and how can I help meet that need, whether it's connection, whether it's just like um, a snack so that yeah. their, their <laughs> blood sugar levels are normalized or, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, to support them in that way. And I, I think that. when it comes to unschooling, then also um, to see like the things that they're passionate about and the things that they're they want to pursue can sometimes be very triggering for us. You know, there are mm -hmm. things that, that we don't like or that we feel like there's no value 
in. And so instead of like placing our own judgments on them, instead of labeling it, we can just, again, be curious and ask ourselves, what are they getting out of this? How is this meeting their need in some way, whether it's like a sensory need or a connection, like a relational socialization need or um, um, yeah, all of those things Um, to have like a neutral or positive understanding of their behavior instead of always a negative judgmental one. Yeah, I think that's true. Like um, having to stop looking at them as like whatever the thing is, as a negative or a problematic thing or um, what they might be trying to get out of you or not thinking the worst of them, but thinking the best of them, their best intentions. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because I think when that happens, we can really, um, you know, we remove that punitive element where Mm -hmm. we feel like we need to punish them and control them, stop the behavior. And we're more able to support them. So if they are doing something in, in an inappropriate way, um, that we can still understand the need underneath that behavior and support them to find other ways to meet that need. So validating those needs, validating their desires and helping them to find better ways to meet those needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just more partnership. I feel like that's mm-hmm. going to just be the word that I say. Over. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, for sure. And I think with that partnership, uh, again, um, it isn't just like they get to do whatever they want, you know, in an unschooling family, like we are all in it together. And so um, all our needs matter. And how can we work together to ensure that each one of us thrives? Absolutely. So it's not like the parents um, being the martyr necessarily and always bending over backwards, but that we um, have healthy boundaries. We communicate, we are in partnership with one another. Of course. And it's important, even just running a household, even if you aren't unschooling to have it all laid out on the table and what everybody's responsible for, for everybody to keep things in the way that everybody prefers, right? If you want Mm -hmm. to clean house, then you're probably going to have chores spread out across the week um, amongst all people to get all these things done to have a clean house. You guys aren't so worried about having such a tidy house and it can be a little messy. Maybe you won't do that so much and you'll invest more of your time into other things as a family. Um, So it just looks different from household to household. Yeah. So it really depends on um, each family's values and, and what they care about, what they want to invest in. And that, uh, yeah, that involves conversation and that involves. It does. Mm-hmm. I know when we started unschooling years ago, I felt a pressure to let my house go mm. um, because everybody who was unschooling didn't force cleaning. And so without forcing cleaning, it meant letting my house go or being a martyr. And so <laughs> some it would, it would teeter totter between being like, motherhood martyrdom and cleaning all the time and getting everything done for everybody to thing and letting it go and realizing that if I know that we need some level of cleanliness to be able to function here, like to cook for somebody to sit down and work at this space for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then I got to have help. I'm not the only person here. Mm-hmm. And partnership means partnership, like everybody in the community helps. <laughs> so yeah. 
it, it took me a while to get that. So I just, if anybody's listening and feels um, a struggle in that, you do not have to let your house go. You don't have to be a punitive parent and find chores either, but you don't have to let your house go. <laughs> yeah. So I, again, it really depends on each family because um, other families may be okay with more mess and, you know, for, sure. for me, I might look at that and feel like, oh, this feels very chaotic and it doesn't feel good to me. And so, yeah, there's ways that because of my own personal boundaries and preferences, that we would function as a family and work together to find solutions that other families might be okay with. So yeah. what, yeah, what we've done, I think it's just been a rhythm of, you know, modeling it for our kids and inviting them to participate. Um, just having, we've really tried to encourage a team mentality. So like, we need to eat, you know, yeah. how can we work together so that we're fed <laughs> or, you know, we've run out of dishes cause they haven't been done. You know, how can we, um, how can we work together so that the dishes get clean? So really inviting them to problem solve with us and, and be a part of the yeah. process. Yeah. I think letting your kids know that you don't have all the answers, right? Mm. You're not, you're not a superhuman. And you don't have all the answers. You definitely require the help of all the people around you. Yes, yes. I love that. I, lo I love how you how you pointed out that we're not superhuman. And I think sometimes for parents, maybe especially women who are conditioned to be the martyr and to do everything in the household, to the point of burnout mm -hmm. and, and resentment, um, how, yeah, we're sort of taught that that's what it means to be a good parent, where yeah. we, need, we need to do everything and maintain the house in a certain way or whatever. Yes. And, and how, yeah, like, let's challenge that. Like, we don't have to be the one who carries all of that burden on ourselves. That's not a we sustainable, don't. yeah, sustainable way of living. Mm -hmm. It has me thinking, like, about raising children as a village and almost mm -hmm. like the juxtaposition of needing a village to raise a child um, and like the loss of tighter knit communities and, and raising within a village, but also how like the older generations are still married to oppressive ways, like mm -hmm. how hard it is to partner with that oppressive way of thinking. It's great that I think, you know, some folks are moving through some healing um, and, and trying to change ways. I know my, my mother has done a really great job of trying, but for years and years and years, it was like, you know, if she saw me serving myself before my husband at dinner time and we were together and that stuck with me, <laughs> like it stuck with me that my mom was worried about why I wasn't serving my husband's meal to him before me. And then I would do it. Like I did it for years. <laughs> wow. Uh huh. And I, it was just like autopilot. And it was as an adult to please my mother that I was carrying on the right way of serving my husband first. And that did not fit me as a person or even him as a person. In fact, he would reject it. Like, mm -hmm. no, no, you go eat, you go eat. Like we, neither one of us wanted that. We didn't want to be in that way of being. Um, so as I think about like meeting our village and calling our, our parents and our grandparents in to, to help us raise our children, especially in these new ways, um, it's just such a wild juxtaposition because we are, we're, we need them, but also we, we need some things to be addressed. 
Yeah, that's so tricky. You know, I know that within the Asian community, there's a lot of multi-generational families, grandparents living and helping to care for children and stuff like that. And there is a lot of tension because the things that, you know, our perspectives, um, you know, our generation's perspectives are very different from our parents who may be more steeped in um, hierarchy and patriarchy and all those things that we're trying to move away from. So it is, you know, a, a dance. I don't have the answers to that. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a dance. It's just, it's, it was just something I wanted to speak to because it's, it's just so interesting that um, we want familial instruments and we want to raise children with a village and maybe not always with our blood family too. I'll acknowledge that that's not for everybody either. Some mm. people are making their own, you know, families. So, mm-hmm. and I've, I've had to do that as well, living away from home and overseas, I've had to make family. So I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the forced familial obligations, you know, of, of older ways of thinking, um, kind of butting up against new ways of thinking, but also like, we don't want to, we don't want to just cut our people out. We want to call yeah. our village in. Yeah. Yeah. So I think moving into partnership with our parents and grandparents, um, is important, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like de-schooling all of our relationships. <laughs> yes, yes. That's really what it is. <laughs> I think, yeah, I feel like this work, you know, isn't just for the next generation, but for previous generations too. And mm-hmm. I can see, like, there have been many examples of, you know, when we are doing our work that that healing spreads, like, you know, ripples out cross generationally yeah. <laughs> not not just to the next generation you know so yeah that we yeah I think it we have to be patient with and this you know again this isn't true for for all families you know there's some where the parents are just so toxic and abusive that they can't maintain that relationship yeah. in healthy ways but you know um, there are ways that we can be patient with our parents just as we seek to be patient with our own children you know and understand their motivations their fears what's driving them to have some empathy for our parents as well yeah I think this work requires a radical empathy for our parents for our children and for ourselves yes all three Mm -hmm. because without all of those it's not really going to fall into place everybody has to be heard and seen for exactly mm-hmm. what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also heard, you know, for those who struggle who, or who have the challenge of, of partners who aren't on the same page with parenting or in schooling, mm. that that extends to them as well. You know, like if we are um, wanting to honor consent for our kids and autonomy and empathy and just embracing the process that mm. we extend that to our partners as well who are on the journey and maybe not quite at the same place as we are. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we can't force them to getting there faster. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I hear a lot of that sentiment, um, more so among homeschooling and unschooling mothers and more so for 
fathers who aren't on board. Of course, it, it has cut both ways, but more often than not, it's, it's um, women who are sharing that with me. Like, mm-hmm. what can I do to, to just like get him to see? What can I do to kind of push him? Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't, you can't push it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, how can we be open and vulnerable with our own process and our own thinking, but not in um, just a dogmatic, mm. coercive way, which will turn off anybody, right? It would. So yeah, just to be honest and open, um, but but humble as well and open to hearing um, other perspectives, you know? Yeah, for sure. And maybe like connecting with some other parents um, about what you're discovering. Mm-hmm. Like you're maybe, maybe, maybe your very best friends also are raising children and you don't even have to be splitting them in the same types of ways. Get, get to some friends over a Zoom or in person if you can, wherever you are and chat about like how oppressive parenting is really not working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. could probably help too. Yeah. Well, while we're on the topic of community, how has um, this untigering movement and unschooling brought you community? Mm. It's been amazing because, you know, I was in um, China when I first started my blog and social media pages and stuff like that. And um, I wasn't really connected to other unschoolers in person. Uh, there were homeschooling families that I was connected to more, maybe more relaxed um, homeschoolers, but nobody who was like unschooling per se. And finding online community was just amazing because <laughs> then it, it made me feel like, oh, um, other people doing this, other people I can learn from. Yeah. Uh, and so the response, the connections online have uh really been special and even have led to you know in real life relationships where I've been able to meet up with them or build a relationship um, more closely with them offline so that's been really exciting so I think for me just again that process of being open and vulnerable with my process and with my journey. So when I started unschooling, it wasn't like I was totally on board because I was just, it wasn't that I had practiced it for 10 years and then was writing about it. I was like writing about it as I was doing it, as I was shifting, (laughs) as my mind was being changed. And so, um, yeah, I think that made it safe for other people to connect with it and to like question. And it's like, well, I don't know about this. And yeah, because I had those same questions as well. So I'm like, I'm smiling so big because I just feel even though we've never met in person and we're not really, really in community, but I guess we are kind of in community now. Uh-huh. Um, I feel so proud of you. It's just incredible. Oh. <laughs> it just feels so great to hear you say that, like, you weren't an expert. You were just writing down your experience and it connected you with all of these people just feels so so cool to to witness and to read about in your book I have like read and reread I'm highlighting I make I stick sticky notes in it it's one of those bedside books for me along with Akilah's book and a copy of Walden (laughs) those are my three bedside books wow yes that I feel so honored that that would be your bedside book Uh, where can folks find you and where would you like to be contacted and where should they buy your book 
Yeah, so um, you can find me on my blog, untigering.com. I also have social media on Facebook and Instagram, um, at untigering. And if you want to contact me directly, you can email me at untigering at gmail.com. Perfect. And I will put all of that in the show notes so that folks um, can get in touch with you. And before we wrap up, I was hopeful that you would read um, a little bit about um, the very ending of your book. I don't want to give too much of it away or the, even the entire analogy away. So I'm going to have you just read the ending part um, about the tiger and the gray wolf um, and just sort of changing things for future generations. Mm-hmm. So this is on page 208 of uh, the paperback. We likewise have the, have the potential to influence our environment. We are not bound to the current parenting norms of our culture or society. We can be like the wolves in Yellowstone, transforming ourselves, our families, and our communities for future generations through the choices that we make today. We can bring healing, life, and flourishing to the world around us through our untigering. If you come from a cultural heritage that is steeped in the oppression of children, just know that culture is made and remade by people like you and me. Let's be brave and bold as we challenge the conventional wisdom and status quo of parenting. Like those gray wolves, let's be change makers and cycle breakers who alter the trajectory of generations and cultures yet to come. Oh, you gave me chills, Iris. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, And I just appreciate the time that you've given me today and all all the wisdom that you're sharing here. And I'm happy to be in community with you. Yes, likewise. Thank you, Megan. I hope that this episode was impactful. If anything resonated with you, I'd love to hear about it, or I'd love for you to share it with others. Iris, thanks again for your time and the candid conversation. This community of people is just the most at-home feeling. I am so encouraged by the amount of trailblazing parents that are out there for universal liberation of all people and using unschooling as the vehicle to get there. If you wanna do me a favor, there's a few things you can do to help me out. This is the awkward part for me. If you want to take a moment to rate and review this podcast, wherever it is that you're listening, that's going to help other folks find me, find us, find this community. Um, If you want to check out the show notes, that has all of the links and resources that Iris and I discussed today. And if you've missed that in past episodes, take a dive in there. Um, They are usually great places to go and find information, learn, and some jumping off points from wherever those things are mentioned in the episodes. Lastly, if you want to drop any loose change in my piggy bank, that is going to help me keep my website up and running that I've started and possibly step up this podcasting to more regular episodes and guests and perhaps buy myself a mic. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this community. And lately the theme online has been to rest. So I am hoping that whatever kind of rest that you can access today that you take a moment for that because you are deserving of that rest. Until next time, friends, stay kind to each other.